Hey, we're going to continue on. We've got um, two more weeks of, of this series, so I still need some signs. Uh, you all are supposed to be uh, sending me some, some, some signs, um, funny signs, um, appropriate funny signs. So uh, let's, get, uh, let's get some more of those in so we can have a, a good time. Um, but uh, as you're turning there to John chapter 6, uh, remember why we are doing this. Remember why we are um, taking time to read through um, the, these, these signs, these miracles in which Jesus uh, did um, that, that John wrote down. Uh, we, we established it that uh, John writes in um, uh, John 20 that uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but the ones that which he are, are written in the, his book here, um, he says that the, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole reason he wrote down these seven um, or, or is for the, 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 the point or the fact or, or the reason for um, you is, is that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, and, and by believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that you can have life in his name. So at the end of the day, um, we can have fun, and I, I'm all about having some fun. But what we need to do is, is we need to look at Jesus for who he is. And, and I've been talking over the past few weeks about reclaiming the majesty of God, re remembering that, that, that Jesus sits, um, uh, that, that he sits high and exalted, that, that he is the one um, that, that has all power and um, that um, we, we've used the, the word majesty, but we also have used the word glory. He's glorious. And what we need to understand is, is we need to reclaim the, 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 the majesty of, of God because when we understand who it is that sits on the throne, I, I fully believe that that's going to determine and going to change the way in which um, we view life, which we view situations, which we view circumstances. We're going to talk a lot about, a lot of, about that today. Um, uh, situations or um, the, what we're going to, I'm going to term it today as storms, storms in life. You know, w w the way in which we view um, those things that happen and the way in which we view life in general is a direct result of how we view uh, who God is. And, and if we don't have, have a clear understanding of who God is, what we can um, uh, have a tendency of doing is, is uh, uh, making God too small and our problems too big. Letting, letting fear and anxiety and, and things uh, of this world overcome us instead of um, taking rest and having peace in God. Um, as we uh, have, have talked about, I, I love the, the, uh, the line by, by J.I. Packer when he talks about the lack of, uh, of the knowledge of the majesty of God um, makes our faith feeble and our worship flabby. So we want to have strong faith and we want to have effective worship. You, you're already picking up on today that, that uh, uh, what's stirring in the, the hearts and, and the minds and the actions of our elders is that we need to worship better. Because um, even understanding what worship means, it's ascribing worth to. So we need to understand that, that as we look and as we view God and, and we, we reclaim his majesty, what we're really doing is we're being reminded of his worth. And if we're reminded of his worth, which is beyond anything that we can really comprehend, it, it, it's beyond no matter um, what financial burden which we're under, his worth is so much more valuable than anything um, that we can try to put in that, in that position. So um, being able to, to, to view God in his majesty um, is being able to say, okay, he sits on the throne and I, and, I, and I don't. But it's a good thing that he sits on the throne. And because he sits on the throne, this can happen. So uh, you know, with, with all that, turn, if you haven't already, to John chapter 6. Um, and we're going to uh, read just a few verses here. Now... As I read this, 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 uh, this text here, what we understand is Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000, and, and we understand that the 5,000, it noted the 5,000 men, uh, so there, but there were women and children along. We know this for a fact because it says a boy gave his lunch to Jesus. 
So we know that children were present as well. And where the children were present, the, the women were, were, were there as well. It was a cultural thing. So understand that there was probably fifteen to 20,000, some say even upwards to 25,000 people. Lots of people that were fed with a Lunchable, right? We, we, we got that, that, that mindset. This just took place. So what we're going to, what we're going to uh, discuss today is what happens directly after that, this miracle that happened on that day. So that day, the, the, the feeding of 5,000, of, of the 5,000, or the, really I should say 25,000, um, and then that night, this event takes place. Now, as I go through this, those, those of you that are, are familiar with Scripture, you're going to say, well, yeah, this story is familiar to me because I'm reading through the Gospels, and, and it's in Matthew, and it's in Mark, as well as, as it is in John. And I, and I love it about this story, and what I love about this story, is when you read um, these three accounts of the same thing taking place, um, you have the, 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 uh, the, the complements of one another um, to, to the text. And what I mean is that there are some um, additions or some details in some of the texts that maybe not be in, in all of the texts. What we'll see is that the one that we're reading today is the shortest version of this story. But we will look at Mark 6, if you want to know where that's at. It's Mark 6, uh, 45, or 45 through 52, but also Matthew 14, um, 22 through 33, because I think that there's some important details that we need to uh, understand about this whole story that, uh, that, that, that took place. So what I'm going to do is we'll, we'll, we'll go through, I'll read through this, and then we'll go back and peel back some layers. So when evening came, this is verse 16 of John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they, said, or they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, as we, as we look at this story, um, we, can, we can ask some questions right off the bat. Uh, and some of the questions that we can ask right off the bat is it says, okay, so when evening came, it's given this um, exact time. So it's, and it also says it's getting dark, right? So, but when evening came, it says that his disciples went down to the sea now, and got into a boat. Now, when we, we can look back on the story, knowing the story, knowing all of the details uh, about it. But when you're, when you're first reading this story, the question that, that might come up is like, okay, why didn't Jesus, why wasn't Jesus with them? Why, why did the disciples, or, or are the disciples running away? They're like, man, he just fed a whole bunch of people with that boy's lunch. I don't want him to take anything away from me and give it away. So I'm just going to run. That, that, that we could have that, that question, like, are, are the disciples running away from Jesus? But we know that, that, that they're not, because um, in Mark chapter 6 and uh, Matthew chapter 14, there's an important detail that, that uh, those two um, evangelists give us. It says that Jesus sent them or told them to go get in the boat. If you remember what was happening at this time, um, remember Jesus just fed this, this multitude, and this multitude was all geeked up about uh, that the, their bellies were full and they were satisfied. And not only that, that there was a whole bunch of leftovers there. And they're like, well, wait a second, we need somebody to, to lead us and, and to, to be our king and to, to uh, be our deliverer from the, the, the Roman uh, oppression. And they were thinking, well, this guy can do it. He can give us everything that we need, right? And it says that, 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 that Jesus perceived that they were going to come and take him by force and make him king. And it says that he withdrew from him. Well, what we understand is, is when, when Jesus withdrew, it also says that in, in Matthew and in Mark that Jesus was there to dismiss the crowds. He's told his, he told his disciples, go to the other side. I'm going to get rid of these crowds, but then i got to go spend some time with the Father. So what we, what we see here is that Jesus is not with his disciples, not because he didn't care for them, not because of his disciples were running away from uh, him. He was not with his disciples because he told his disciples, go get in the boat and go across to the other side. 
Now, right now, it's like, okay, so I, I get it. This is going to be very, 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 very important here in a minute because of what happens out on that, this sea. It goes on to say here that, it, um, and, and this is, if you are one of those, those Bible nerds, you got to ask the question that, uh, well, it says they got into a boat and they started across to the Sea of Capernaum. But wait a second, Lee, back in, in, in uh, Matthew, or, or I'm sorry, in Mark and in, Ma- in Matthew here, it says, let me read this to you. In, in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Well, which one is it? Did he go to Bethsaida or did he go to uh, Capernaum? Yes. And, and for some people, this is like, well, see, the, the Bible already contradicts itself. No, 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 no. Here's what we have to understand. Um, I, I love, and maybe this is just me giving you a geek moment, and if you don't want to listen to me, fine, whatever. It's fun. Um, and I understand. You guys don't want to listen half the time. Are we alive? Come on, all right. It's gonna, it's gonna, you guys are going to have to be engaged here in a second. I'm going to jump off the stage and start running around crazy. Um, <laughs> amen, right? I knew Dan was going to say that. Was that Dan or was that Dad? Oh, that was Derek. Dan, Dad, or Derek? Which one? Um, so I understand this. So a little piece of information here. Uh, the, 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 the Capernaum or Bethsaida controversy. Well, we understand that, that, that Jesus was in the, this region of Bethsaida because we, he asked the, the, the uh, disciple in which he asked to, about the, the, um, the, 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 uh, the food situation was Philip, and, he, and he's from that area. But, so we're like, well, wait, wait, how can they go across the sea and get back to Bethsaida? Understanding where Bethsaida and Capernaum is located is key here. Because you have the Jordan River. The Jordan River is what feeds the Sea of Galilee. So some of you are like, wait a second, I thought the Jordan River went from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. Yes, it does. It connects the Sea of Galilee to the, to the Dead Sea. But before that, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, Galilee is fed by the Jordan River on the north side. So on the north side, you have the Jordan River that comes into the Sea of Galilee. And then on, if you're looking at a map, on the east side of the Jordan River, you have Bethsaida. And on the west side of the Jordan River, you have Capernaum. So when it says here that, that, that go across to Bethsaida or go across to Capernaum, think of Kansas City. Anybody ever been to, to, to Kansas City? Kansas City is on both sides of the what? The Mississippi, Right? There's Kansas City on the both sides of the Mississippi. What we understand here, and archaeology has, sh- has, has proven this, is that, um, that Capernaum was like a, um, the, the suburbs of Capernaum, what was considered Bethsaida, like a, a, um, the, the, an outstretching fishing village. So to, to say, um, to go to Capernaum or go to Bethsaida, it's that same area right around the mouth of the Jordan River there. So I, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything that you're, any question which you're having right now, but what that does is for some people, what that can do for, for some that I've encountered is like, well, see, there's, there's contradictions in the scripture. No, what you have to do is you have to pull back layers and understand really geography and um, archaeology and, and a lot of other ologies to understand that there, there is no, there are no, I should say, if I could use proper grammology, or all, whatever. But there, there are no contradictions here. They, they are, are, are well explained. So how, how about I move past that? Because you guys, are, I, I can always see when, when Professor Lee comes out, you guys kind of glaze over a little bit and you're like, okay, move on. Gotcha. All right. Where are we at? Verse 16, 17, 19. Look with me uh, at John chapter 6, verse 19. Because Jesus had gone up to, um, uh, it says that he sent his disciples. He says, go across the other side, go ahead of me. It says that he, uh, in Mark 6 and in Matthew 14, it says he went up on uh, the mountain to pray. Um, we could spend all day there, um, and Jesus spent most of the night there. But uh, what I want to pull from that, and that'll be a whole other sermon in and of itself someday, is that Jesus thought it necessary um, to, after ministering to this great crowd, to uh, withdraw and spend time with the Father. So if Jesus, the Son of God, uh, thought it necessary to spend time with God the Father, why shouldn't we, or why do we think we don't need to spend time with the Father? All right, you got my point? I'm going to move on from that. 
So it says that, that, that Jesus was up there uh, on, on the mountain. And um, it, it says that, that, that he uh, looked out in, um, it's in Matthew chapter, no, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. I should be like you and hold my fingers in there, right? So I can go back. Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully. What, what, what does that mean? Was that a, a, a supernatural uh, vision? Was, was that that he was standing on a high point and he could look out into the sea? I, I, I don't know, but what that, that this key piece of information is that uh, Jesus being up on the mountain praying, he, he, he took time and he looked to see where his disciples were, and it says that they were making headway painfully. Back in John, it says that they rowed for three or four miles. Anybody uh, love the rowing machine? Some of you are like, what's a rowing machine? They're right, right? The, the rowing machine, like at the gym, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's murder. I've tried it. I mean, you, you don't, you, when, you, when you get on that rowing machine, you're not looking at miles. You're looking like at feet, okay? 100, 200, okay? But they, it says that they rode for three or four miles, and they were making uh, um, headway painfully. And it says that Jesus looked and he saw that. And I love this because it, it wasn't like oh, Jesus looked up, man, <laughs> they're in the middle of a storm. Hey, let's see how it goes. No, it says here, go back to John chapter 6. It says, uh, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat. And they were frightened. All right. I, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm in a boat, and there's uh, the, the, the waves and the wind and everything, just tossing everything around, trying to keep things so the other things don't get tossed around, right? So just tossed around like I'm, I'm in, the, in the middle of this, and, and then all of a sudden, somebody's walking on the water. Now, I, I know like in the middle of a storm, in the boat seems like a very dangerous place, right? But outside the boat's got to be kind of dangerous as well. Right? Right? Okay, just making sure we're getting this visual picture here. Because what we see is their response to Jesus walking on the waters are frightened. By a show of hands, who would honestly say that would be me? Some of you that don't raise your hands, I'm going to come to your house next time Nightmare on Elm Street comes on. Because <laughs> you're much stronger than me. I, I, I look at this, I mean, that's, this is a natural response. In, in the other Gospels, it says that they, they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost walking on uh, the water. And some of you be like, well, yeah, it's the Holy Ghost. No, 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 that's not what they thought. They thought that they were dying and that they were gone and they were seeing the dead. So it says that they were frightened. Why, why is this important? Well, I'm going to, to, to cut to the chase here. Amidst life's storms, our normal response is fear. Even when Jesus shows up, it's fear. Now, what do I mean by life's storms? Well, it doesn't matter what it is that you're, you're, we're dealing with. I think that if we look at this story, and um, as we're going to see, one of these guys is a little bit braver than the rest, but um, what, what we can see is that, that, that um, they're in this boat, they're in the middle of, of, of this, this sea, great body of, of, of water, the, the wind and the waves are crashing all around them, and by the wind and the waves crashing all around them, the, their situation is not very desirable. Anybody been into something like that? Situation not very desirable. Some of you are like, yeah, me right now. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. But what, what is it that, 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 that happens during this time? It says that Jesus saw them first and then went to them, right? And their response was, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. That's what I want to talk about real quick is like fear and then faith, and I don't think I got to expound on fear because I think you all got that down pretty pat. And the reason I can say that is because that is one of, uh, of human, human's natural instincts. Is that like their natural response is to, to be fearful. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the, the, the first noted uh, response, the first noted feeling in the Garden 
is fear. It's after Adam and Eve sinned, it says that they hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Because they were fearful of God. So understand that, that, it's, that if, you're, if, if we're sitting in here and we're saying, you know what, I'm a tough guy or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tough woman or whatever, well, well, understand that, that, that nothing's ever going to penetrate to the depth in which you need to hear the truth if you just kind of continue to put up this, this, this barrier and say that I never feel fear. And I'm not just talking about being afraid of snakes. I'm definitely afraid of snakes. I get that. I'm talking about fear of, of, of change. Fear of life, fear of other people. I, I like to understand that, that um, as, as we look at what fear is, uh, we know, Scripture tells us that the fear is not from God. Uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy that, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of, of love and power and self-control. So the, the fear is, is I, I, I'll say, well, wait a second, if it's not from God, where is it from? You fill in the blank. And over 360, some say 365, one for every day of, 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 of the year, but over 360 times in all of Scripture, there is a command to fear not or not be afraid. It's the most common command in all of Scripture. So th this is obviously something that, that, that somebody deals with, right? Here, the, the disciples are, are dealing with it. And when, I, when I'm going to identify fear as, I, I believe this, that fear is uh, not trusting God. Not, not trusting God. And I'm not saying for, for you, like, well, you don't trust God and your salvation is in jeopardy. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What, what, what I am saying is what, what you do, what I do sometimes, is I let my uh, situations and my circumstances, I let the storm of my life be bigger than Jesus. And when I let whatever's going on around me to get bigger than who Jesus is, I'm taking my eyes off of him, which is going to be an important point here in a second. I'm taking my eyes off of him and I'm putting it on the situation. And I'm focusing in and I'm being identified by the situation that's happening, not by the one who is bigger than the situation. What we understand is that fear is um, a, a vision of the future, and I love this one, and I stole this, but it, fear is a vision of the future that is not including God's provision. So, so think about that. Just look at it this way. Fear is a vision of the future absent of God. No, no one in here wants to say, well, that's, that, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's me. No, 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 but if, if, if we were to look at what it is that we're fearful of in our lives... It comes down to that trust issue. And that's what this story is all about, is the difference between fear and faith. Now, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, convictions of things not seen. Big difference between fear and faith, right? They're, they're, they're antithetical to each other. They're opposite of each other. You can't say, well, I am uh, mighty in my faith, but I'm afraid of the dark. Or I'm my... No, 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 here's the deal. Can people of faith deal with problems of fear? Yes. If anybody wants to argue that with you, or if you want to argue that with me, just read through the Psalms. The Bible tells us that God is... is or I'm sorry, David is a man after God's own heart. And there are plenty of psalms that talk about his fear. There are plenty of psalms that talk about God's majesty as well. What does that mean? Well, we're going to have highs and lows. We're going to have ups and downs. And what we need to understand is that just because you are a man or a woman of faith, that it does not mean that you're exempt from fear. It means you have to face fear head on, and you have to let faith overcome your fear. You've heard me preach in the past, and maybe I need to preach this again, that instead of worrying, we need to worship. Again, that seems like a pattern that we're talking about today, is this worship. But what we do is we worry about every situation. We worry about the, the wind and the waves and the rain and everything coming in our, around us instead of worshiping God for the boat, right? Th th think about it. You're out in the middle of, of, the, of the, the sea there. You could be swimming, trying to tread water, but you're in a boat. The disciples are in a boat. So instead of worrying about the, the wind and the waves and everything crashing around, thank God for the boat that you're in. I, I, I love this in the sense that it goes on. 
And, and you have to turn to, to, to Matthew 14 for this. Because in Matthew chapter 14, he gave a little addition to the events that took place that night. Because when Jesus, when Jesus showed up and they were all freaking out, he responded with faith instead of fear. He says there um, that, uh, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He says that in each one of the Gospels. But then Peter, the, 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 the awesome man of God that he is, says this. And I, I said that tongue-in-cheek just a little bit because the elders and I were talking this morning and, and uh, the fact of the matter is everybody wants to identify with Peter in this story. But because it, it says this, verse 28 says, and Peter answered him, he's speaking to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, 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 now listen, let, let's look at this. Wind, wave, storm situation, everything's going on. You've got 12 disciples in this boat. Jesus appears. Peter's like, I'm going to show y'all, I'm getting out of the boat. That's what we all think, right? We, we, we all think that, that, that Peter was this emboldened individual. What, what, what really Peter was, was very reckless. If you read the accounts of Peter, now, now some of you are like, well, how, how, are you, how, how can you say that about you know, the saint of Peter? Saint of Peter? Saint of Peter? Santa Peter. Saint, Whatever. St. Peter, how can you say it? Well, he's not going to let you in the pearly gates because he's standing there waiting for you to come. He's going to say, Leap, you said this about me. You got to go. No, 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 no. Listen. Listen, listen, listen. Peter would say about himself, he just didn't know what he was, what he was doing at this, at this point. But what he did know is he was overcome by the presence of Jesus. Amidst his situation, winds and waves and water and all of this going on, amidst all of that going on, Jesus showed up, and, and for a moment there, he, he looked and he, he identified Jesus in that situation, and he said, I, I want to step out of the boat. He said, fear not. So what, what, greater, what greater show of faith could I have, this is what Peter's thinking, what greater show of faith can I have in this moment than taking a step outside of the boat? Mind you, and this is what we were talking about this morning with the elders, is those 11 guys, what do you think that they were saying? What? what? Right. No, no, no. There's sharks in the water. No, there's, not, there's not sharks in it. It's freshwater. Unless there's freshwater sharks. Anybody watch Shark Week? Are there freshwater sharks? Yeah. There are? Well, blows that out of the water. Um, <laughs> I understand, though. I understand that there are 11, there are 11 people, 11 uh, of the other disciples in the boat that had to have some type of comment on Peter stepping, getting ready. Because I'm imagining, like, so Peter's like this. And they're going, no, 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 don't do it. Look, look, there's waves. No, but, but Peter, it says that he got out of the boat. And it said he made his way to Jesus. But what happens when he, when he got up to Jesus? He let his guard down. He, he, he just kind of like, whew, I've arrived. It says he took his eyes off of him. Now, I, I say that because so often what we end up doing is we, we, we are in a storm and we say, I'm going to focus on Jesus. And what happens is we make steps. We step out of the boat in, on, on faith when all of our friends are saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But we step out of the boat, and then we start going towards Jesus. And what happens is we, the closer we get to him, we feel like, oh, I can, I'm, I'm good now. Oh, everything's, like, I don't have to worry about all this stuff. And then what happens is we get complacent, and we start looking around, and we take our eyes off of him. And it says that when, he, then, when, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, it said he began to sink. He started sinking. And maybe I'm just weird in this thought because I always thought, because I didn't read the text completely and I kind of um, had some preconceived notions uh, of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. But you ever have that, that thought, you know where the, the, the Wiley e. Coyote is chasing the Roadrunner and the Roadrunner turns right before the cliff is and the Wiley e. Coyote goes, whoop, 
And he looks around, and he holds up the sign, like, yikes, or something like that, and he goes, Phew! like, drops immediately. A- anybody? Am I here by myself? Uh, all right. It doesn't say that, that it, it, as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, that he went, Phew! no, it says that he began to sink, beginning to sink. What, 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 is that, what does that mean? What's the significance of that, Lee? Well, the significance is that it, doesn't auto, it just doesn't all happen at once. What happens is when we step out in faith and we start following and focusing on Jesus, we start to have that, 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 that sense, that peace, okay, I'm following him, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And what happens is then the, the, the slow fade starts. If we're not continually focusing and continually saying, I've got to keep my eyes on him, no matter what's going on, wind, wave, uh, kids yelling, whatever, I've got to keep my, no, no matter what the, the naysayers back in the boat are saying, bunch of chickens, you know, no matter what's going on, I got to keep my eyes focused on him. That's what we have to, but what, what happens is we get closer and we think, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool. God and I are good now. <laughs> he told me to get out the boat. Now I'm, I'm, now I'm coming up to see him. Well, should we have confidence? Absolutely. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago about entering into the throne room of grace with confidence, right? We need to have confidence, but we still need to understand that there, there, there's something special about the one in which we're following after. And as we get closer to him, we can't say, oh, he's just going to take care of me and I can do whatever I want. No, we have to stay focused on him because when we start to put our eyes on anything else, it says you begin to sink. We begin to sink. Now, as, as we look at this, we can say, awesome, Jesus is the Savior, Absolutely. But, but as, we're, as we're looking at this story, I think it, 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 it's even more important as we're looking at we need to reclaim the majesty of God. Why is it that this story show, is so important in um, our faith journey and, and, and us dealing with fear? And um, as we've done over the past couple of weeks or four or five weeks now, we've talked about different attributes of God. And there are two attributes of God that, that, I, that I see in this story that are earth-shattering. And as we look at these two attributes, we can say this is why, and we can understand why it is so important to keep our eyes on him. The first one here, and, and I'm going to, I'm having Mike put these up on, on the, uh, the screen one at a time here. The first one is eminence. And, and you'll, you'll understand here in a second. Now, now understand, eminence, E-M-I-N-E-N-C-E eminence. Okay, Lee, we're not done. We can read. I get it. Okay. What is eminence? Okay. Think superiority. All right. Superior over all. The Bible uses uh, terms. And, and, and even if you have uh, like a, the, the, the translation, which we use, the ESV, um, the, there's even some uh, headings that talk about his preeminence, Christ's preeminence. But it's this, the, the surpassing or the fact of surpassing all other, all others. Superiority. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. Because I think this helps us to, to grasp what this eminence is and wh- how, how Christ is to be identified as, as, as an attribute. Uh, verse 16, Colossians chapter 1. For by him, him being Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I mean, we could go on all day with that verse right there. Uh, what, what, that needs, what we need to see there, though, is that you are not at the top of the food chain. I am not at the top of the food chain. This that thing that, that's called creation all around us was not created for you, was not created for me. Well, that's hard to say. You know, God gave us things to enjoy. Absolutely, he gave us things to enjoy, but he created things by him for him. Everything is for him. He's the one who is high and exalted. He's the one who sits on the throne. Here, it goes on to say, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, this is my, this is my favorite text of all of Scripture, because in him all things hold together. When we talk about um, relationships and marriages and uh, work this and that and whatever, whatever it may be, anything in, in, in this earth, if it's going to be held together, it's because God holds it together. And he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Why do I say this? Well, we're talking about his eminence. If he's superior to all things, he is bigger than the storm that's in your life. He's bigger than the storm that's in my life. God, if he's eminent, he's superior to all, why would I not get out of the boat and keep my eyes focused on him? It just makes sense. What, what, what happens, though, is that the, the, the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, just keep lying to us, saying, well, he, he's not trustworthy. Well, he doesn't really want what's best for you. You can do better. You know you better than you know than anybody. No, that's crazy. I, anybody, have you ever been in that, that, that situation where you know best, and then you find out that Rule 51 implies and... Uh, Sometimes you're wrong. Some of you NCIS fans are like, oh, I got that one. Right? Right? Gibbs rule number 51, sometimes you're wrong. Well, what, that's what happens is like, I know what's best for me. Yeah, Gabe does too. If you gave it, he would eat gummy pears and cheeseburgers until he just exploded. But that's what's best for him, right? Amen, Amen right? <laughs> is that what's best for him? No. We don't know what's best for us. Even if we try to say, I know what's best for me. No, 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 no. What we need to do is we need to look to the one who knows what's best. How can we say that he knows what's best? Because it's clear that he is above all. And all things hold together in him. He is the preeminent one. We can look to his his superiority and understand that, oh, duh. If If I do step out of the boat, I want to be focused on him. Too often what we do is we, we say things like, I'm going to take a step out in faith. And then you rely on yourself to accomplish what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If, if you do that, I don't know if anybody wants to, to, to witness in here and say, you know what, it's been me and I felt falling flat on my face. I'll put two hands up for y'all, right? Because I, I've had that and, and I've done the most godliest of ways of, hey, oh, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm, I'm stepping out of the boat, people. I've got to do this. But then I get out on the water and I'm like, okay, look at me. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to fight real hard to do it. And what happens? Wham! Fat, flat on my face. Now that's not because God doesn't love us. It's because God loves us that he does allow us to fall flat on our face. Because if we could just depend upon ourselves, do we need God? No. If Peter could get out, get out of that boat and just run circles around the boat and do a Chinese fire drill or whatever, would he, would he need God? Would he need to look to Jesus? No. But by him looking to Jesus and taking his eyes off and him starting to sink, the same thing when we're in a storm in our life and we take our eyes off of Jesus and when things are just, what, what, what's the term everybody uses? Going to hell in a handbasket, Right? Everything's just going to, to, to pot. And we're like, well, I can't figure out why this is all, all happening. It's because you've taken your eyes off of him. The one who holds all things together, you've taken your eyes off of him. And when you take your eyes off him, what's going to happen? You're going to sink. Why can you keep your eyes on him? Because he's above all things. But not only that, and I love this part. And this is why I, 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 I had these thing, these, both these terms spelled out. The, the next attribute that I want to talk about is imminence. No, it's not. Imminence. There's a method to my madness. Eminence and imminence. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Eminence, superiority. Imminence. Think, think of intimate. Think of closeness. The attribute of eminence is the idea that God is present and close and involved with his creation. So why, and I just get chills even just, just talking about this because think about it. The one who is eminent, who is, who is a, a superior to all, he's not only eminent, he's eminent as well. He's present in our situations. So not only does he have the, the, the um, ability over and to control and to free us and deliver us from those situations, he's there in our situations. Remember, Jesus sent them out into the water and he says that the, he saw them, that they were making headway painfully, and he went to them. This is a beautiful thing. Does it say that his disciples went to, back to the shore to Jesus 
In the midst of the storm? No, it says in the midst of the storm, Jesus went to them. And because Jesus went to them, we can understand that this attribute of, of this, this closeness, this presence, this activity of God in the, the lives of his people. This is not just, and, and I, I, the reason I wanted to press in on this is that this is not just that God is high and exalted and he's, he's up here, and we're going to talk about transcendence next week, which is, is separated from, but hold on. I kind of, spoiler alert, I know. But this eminence of superior, God is not only superior to his creation, he's also involved in his creation. One of the, the, the greatest um, heresies that has cre crept into the church is uh, deism and the, the, the thought that, that God started everything and kind of stepped back and just kind of let it go. No, God didn't just start everything like a top, like you wind it up and just take his hands off and just watch it up, watching how it goes. No, he started everything, but he's involved in everything. That's why when those storms come in our life, what we can say is that I want to keep my eyes on Jesus because he is superior to all, but he has come down to be with me. He is close. He is present in my situation. As I was putting this together and, and, and thinking about this, how, how can I uh, communicate the, the, the closeness of Jesus, the closeness of God in our lives? I think Psalm 139 does it best. Because I, my, my words will just fail compared to what, what God says. In Psalm 139... Remember, this is David, the man after God's own, after God's own heart. It says here that, 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 that David writes, verse 1, says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, if at the highest of heights here, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The lowest of lows. So no matter where the highest or highs or lowest lows, it says you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. As I'm reading this, think of the, 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 the picture and the, the event that took place on that sea. If I say, surely the darkness shall, over, or shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day, for darkness is as light with you. And I, the reason I love that, 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 that verse here, because no matter the, the darkest situation in which you're in, it's not dark to God. He can bring light and make the, the craziest, nastiest, dirtiest, ugliest situation, and he can bring light to that situation. That doesn't give us the, 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 the right or the, the license to go out and act like a fool. But what that, that says is when you try to play God of your life and you mess up, he's going to be there and he can take a, your, your jack upness your bad decision, and he can bring light to that. It says, for you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Just, just, just hear the words. Hear the words that, that David is saying. That, and what we have to understand is that David went through some storms. He went through some storms that, that probably none of us have ever, have ever uh, um, uh, experienced. Maybe some of you have, have experienced. I don't know. But some storms that threatened his life. Talks about, it goes on to talk about his enemies 
But what we understand is no matter what the storm was that David was dealing with, just like no matter what the storm is that the disciples were dealing with, no matter what the storm is that we were, we are, were, maybe, can't, I don't, whatever that is, whatever storm we're dealing with, no matter, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a common factor in each one of them. As a child of God, God is present there. He's present there. He is above all. He, he is eminent, but he's also imminent. He is intimately close to each one of us in our situation. Landing the plane now. Because I think that what we can do is we can look at this and we can see this awesome feat. We can see this awesome uh, um, um, step of faith, this leap of faith out of the boat, seeing Jesus, then all of a sudden this, this, this um, mistake of taking eyes off and we can like, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And, but but here, here's where, where some people fail. It's, okay, what was the cause of the storm? What was the cause of, of, of the storm? And, and this is my big idea. This is my, my, my whole sermon wrapped up into one sentence right here. Actually, it's two sentences, or it'd be a real long run on one. Storms will come, all right? Storms will come. Not, not, not might, not may. Storms will come. But Jesus is bigger than the storms. Now, not only... That, not only is Jesus bigger than the storm, he's bigger than the fear that is produced by that storm. Even if that storm was caused by him. Whoa, wait a second, Lee. What are you saying now that Jesus causes, God causes things like that, storms to happen in my life? Yes, 100%. I am unashamedly will say that will God cause storms in your life? Absolutely. Are all storms caused by God? No. Not, not, not saying that at, at all. That would be akin to me saying that the hurricane down south right now, will God cause that in judgment? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But just like that, that one sign that we saw, some of the situations which you're, you're in is because you're stupid and you made bad decisions right? And God loves you enough not to bless your mess in which you're in, but to cause a storm so you have to make the decision. Am I going to get out of the boat and go after him or am I just going to kind of see if I can weather this all by myself? The Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Sometimes it takes a storm in our life to understand uh, that, that we need him. I, I, I'm sure that, that, that these disciples, when they first got into this boat, that everything was calm, and they set off. They weren't thinking about needing Jesus. It wasn't until that storm came up that they're like, holy goodness, we need Jesus. Where's he at? We need to be saved. So yes, I will say sometimes we get into that storm in, in, in our life, whatever it may be. You can insert anything into there. That that storm will happen. Why? Well, because sometimes God needs to get our attention. I think that, 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 that and Kurt and I have been talking a lot about this, with the other, other, other elders as well, one of the greatest storms that we're seeing that, that, that people are encountering right now is, is relational. Uh, primarily uh, marriage relationships, but not only marriage relationships, uh, relationships with, with children, relationships at work, relationships with friends. And I, I, I think it, it's clear that, that some of those relationships, because you're an idiot, I get it, but some of those are, 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 are that God is, maybe, maybe, how about this, maybe God's not making this bad thing happen. Maybe God's allowing it to happen. That's another thing. God allows it to happen because God's sovereign over all. It's either he causes it or he allows it, I, I believe. If he's allowing it to happen, why is he allowing it to happen? Where are your eyes? Are they on him or not? He loves you enough to do whatever it, whatever it takes to get your attention. Well, that kind of sounds, sounds, sounds kind of far-stretching. 
I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever read the story about him dying on the cross, hanging naked. Great stretch, right? Going to whatever means necessary to grab your attention, to show you his love for you. Because not only is, he, is, is, is the attribute of his eminence real and true and present, but his imminence, that he wants to be involved in every step of your life to guide you, to lead you, is also true. So whatever it is, whatever storm we're going through, if you're not going through a storm, maybe this is time where you can prepare ahead because when that storm happens, you know what to do. But if you're going through a storm right now, my, my, my words to you are the words that come from, from Christ. When, when, when he looks to Peter, when Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out here. What does he say? Come. That's it. Did you notice that he didn't lecture Peter? Even when he was fall, falling, says he grabbed him and he said, oh, you have little faith. He didn't give him a 12-point sermon. He rescued him. But it all starts with stepping out of the boat, looking to him keeping our eyes on him. Let's pray. Our Father God, um, storms come. We, I think we all know that, even though we don't want to accept it, but, but my, my prayer is that um, our response to those storms will be more in faith and less in fear. I, I don't think that, it, it, that we can completely um, say that I'm never going to be fearful because uh, um, we, we do struggle with sin and things in our lives. But God, let our fear um, be diminished and, and be less than our faith. Let our faith trump our fear. Lord, let us, uh, as we do step out of the boat, let us understand that we need to focus on you let us not be the ones that are trying to keep others in the boat. But let us understand that, that you have planned, you have purpose, God, that you are not only superior and above all, but you're in our lives and you're, you care about what happens. God, I, I pray this, and as I pray this, I know that there are people here that are dealing with stuff. There are storms. God, if they can't and they haven't come to you, um, uh, my, my prayer is that they, that they um, build up the courage enough and that those around them will help them push them out of the boat a little bit so they can see you and they can, they can get their eyes on you and that you can help them as they weather the storm. God, for, the, for uh, those that aren't dealing with any storms, uh, my, my, my prayer is that during this, this time uh, of calmness that our, our faith can uh, continually be, be, be grown, that, it, that we don't get complacent, and we don't get sucked into a storm. And God, I, just, I pray also that there's someone here that's not even in the boat. They're just drowned and they're just sinking. That they can say the words, save me, rescue me and that you'll reach down and rescue them. Lord, as we um, enter into just uh, the, the, this time of closing and um, opening up a, a, a prayer, my, my prayer is that, 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 that people will understand that, that, that they can't do it on their own. And they, they need you, and they need those around, those that, those that you have appointed, particularly the elders in this church, God, but not only that, but also our, our brothers and our sisters come together to make up this body. Father, we thank you. Spirit, we continue to welcome you, and we pray this in your name, Jesus.